Kingdom risks. That guy right there is taking a big risk. Skydiving cats. Who could foresee that we would be in the age of skydiving cats? That's going to become relevant later on in the message. Before I get into the uh, substance of the message, I want to let you know what assumptions I'm making uh, before I give this message. And it's assumptions I'm making about our church. And that's based on knowing you for almost 20 years. So here's the first assumption I'm making. That you want to see more of, quote, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, unquote, through your life and your church. Is that the case? Boy, we had a lukewarm, semi-something-or-other response. Is that, a, is that a fair assumption, that this is what we want? Yeah, there you go. And after all, this is how Jesus taught us to pray. So it's something we're praying for. Kingdom on earth. Your will be done now, here, just like it is in heaven. That's the first assumption. The second assumption is that you believe, we believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Hearty amen. This means that we believe in healing, divine healing. We believe in prophecy, God speaking to us and through us. We, we believe in miracles. We believe in divine momentary guidance and wisdom. We believe in tongues, speaking in tongues, in a heavenly language that the mind cannot comprehend, but the heart is set free to speak its deepest desires and passions to God. And we believe in the interpretation of tongues, that tongues can be a form of prophecy. I've been around you long enough to know that our church's theological position is yes to these gifts. Now, the third assumption is that we believe that these supernatural gifts operate through faith. Faith is a key component to the work of the Holy Spirit through our lives. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And that doesn't just apply to prophecy. That applies to all the spiritual gifts. They're used in proportion to the extent of our belief that we can and should do it. Does that make sense? The more we believe we can do something, the more of it we will do. The more we believe uh, we're supposed to do it, the more of it that we will do. And this makes perfect sense because you don't do something you don't believe you should do. And you don't do something you don't believe you can do. So it's it's both a should, I have permission, I'm called to, but it's also, do I have the ability? Is this within me to do this thing? We believe that we should practice these gifts. Now, I hope we all believe this. Is the Holy Spirit living inside of you? If you're a Christian and you're sitting here today, you've given yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, then you have the Holy Spirit living within you right now. So how many of these spiritual gifts are living in you right now? All of them. Because they're not the spiritual gifts of Mark or Jerry or Francisco or Maru. They're the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're what he does through us. 
They don't belong to us. They're his. So they're all sitting inside of us all the time. At any given moment, you could do a miracle because you're not doing the miracle. The Holy Spirit's doing the miracle through you. We are all empowered by God. We're all supernatural creations. We were designed for a supernatural lifestyle. It's our birthright. When we were changed into his sons and daughters, we acquired his spiritual DNA. We have all of those abilities living within us. All this tells us, these first three assumptions, is that our theology is fine. We've got our theology down pat. We all confess to believing the right things about spiritual gifts. So here's the question. In view of these assumptions, in view of our right thinking, why aren't we doing more of this stuff? Now, this is not a whip you sermon, okay? Because I know this church well, and I know that most of us, most of the time, are trying to do these things, taking opportunities, praying for people. But could we be seeing more of his work in our lives? Could we? Should we? Do we want it? Yes, absolutely. So why aren't we seeing more of these things? It seems like just believing in doing the stuff, having faith for it, is not enough to move us to do the stuff. You see, we're like people that have fallen in love with skydiving. You see, we, we see a great YouTube video of skydivers and we fall in love with skydiving. And we start reading books about skydiving. And we put comments in the margin and we read it over several times and we circle our favorite passages and we dog-ear the pages. We subscribe to Skydiving Magazine. We watch all the skydiving videos on YouTube that we can get our hands on. We even join a skydiving club. And we attend every meeting. And we attend all the special events where real skydivers come and talk about their experiences. And it thrills us. And we have faith that our parachute will open when we pull the ripcord. But we have never jumped out of a plane. Is the conviction of the Holy Spirit beginning to fall a little bit? We've never jumped out of a plane. See, our theory is fantastic. And we empathize. And we imagine. And we enjoy the moments. And we tear up when someone talks about their first jump. But we've never jumped out of a plane. Okay, look. What is the missing ingredient to experiencing the thrill of skydiving? What is the missing ingredient in experiencing the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit? I like that. A leap of faith, like out of the airplane. I think it's taking risks. 
I think the key to experiencing more of the Holy Spirit is simply taking risks. And this is what Jesus said about experiencing the kingdom of God. This is, this is really, really insightful. This is deep truth we need to get a hold of. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, in this interchangeable term, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Now that, that word means is being violently opposed. You see, the kingdom of God is coming to advance in the earth. Jesus' ministry, just by the way, this is really important. When we think of Jesus' ministry, we usually think his ministry is coming to save us from hell. That his ministry is principally salvation. That's not what his ministry is, principally. His principal ministry is the advancement of the kingdom of God. The way he does it is through saving people from their sins and recruiting them into the army of God so they will go and join him in advancing the kingdom of God across the earth. You see, we become self-focused on our salvation. Our salvation is a part of the kingdom of God, but it's not the central purpose. The central purpose is to get the world back under the rule and reign of God. And thank God that his love is so great that including us in that is his plan. And it was something worth dying for. But Jesus was focused on the kingdom of God. You know, you take all the teachings of Jesus, you break them down by subject, the kingdom of God outranks absolutely everything else multiple times over. The kingdom of God is being violently opposed. Is that... (laughs) Is that any surprise? Our experience is that the kingdom of God is being violently opposed. We're coping with with cancer. Coping with fears and anxieties. We're, We're coping with uncertainties. We're coping with unmet dreams and expectations. People, when you became a Christian... You might not have known it, but all of a sudden you're wearing a uniform and you're part of an army and we're being attacked and we're being harassed and there's a war going on. It's the war for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And we really have only two choices. We can be passive, curl up in a ball and hope we don't get hurt and hide in a corner where we become perfect victims. That strategy does not work in a war. Or we can stand up and we can fight. We can get violent. We can get militant. We can get aggressive. We only have two choices. All those gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know what they are? There's the, they're the ammunition belt across your chest. They're the forty-five on your hip. They're the AR-15 you're carrying, and they're the hand grenades hanging all over you. They're your equipment. They're what we fight with. They're how we make war. Or you can say, I don't want to. But not wanting to doesn't change the fact that the kingdom of God is being violently opposed. And he finishes the sentence with, 
and the violent take it by force. That's us he's talking about. To participate in the advancement of the kingdom of God is to become violent. It's to become militant. It's to recognize our calling and say, yeah, I'm not a civilian. In the kingdom of God, there are no civilians. There's soldiers willing to fight or soldiers not willing to fight, but there are no civilians. We're supposed to take hold of ministry forcefully and advance it aggressively, forcefully, so much so that he can use the word violence to describe our attitude. We can't sit passively waiting for the kingdom of God to happen. We're tied up in that destiny. Think of the healings that Jesus did. How many times did he call for some kind of response? Some kind of action on behalf of the person that he was going to heal. Give me some examples. What do you want me to do for you? He's calling for a response. Stretch out your hand. Do something. Pick up your bed and walk. Hmm? If you have faith, I'll do it. But even those he said about faith, he often called them to some response. Some action on their part to cooperate in what he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty weird. I've never done that. I hope God never tells me to. But if he tells me to, I'll do it. We think about that. How about this? How about the parable he taught about the two sons that the father asked to go and work in the fields. And you know the story. The first one said, absolutely. Absolutely, I'll go. And didn't. And the second one, he said, go work in the fields. And he said, no, I don't want to. I'm not going to. And then he changed his mind. He went and did it. Which one does the father commend? The one that did something. The one that took action. You see, it's not enough to simply believe in the kingdom. We have to do the kingdom. It's not enough to simply have faith that we have these gifts. We have to do something with these gifts. We have to get involved. There's there's more to believing in the supernatural gifts in order to experience them. There's more than just believing. We have to take them by force. We have to act. We must involve our physical human selves in an action to see the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Why? Why is this so important? It's because Satan is opposed to us using our spiritual gifts, especially the supernatural ones. They are a threat to his power, and so he opposes them. That's the battle. That's the war. That's the opposition. That's the violence. He opposes them in two ways. Now, we're not subject to the first one, but a big chunk of the church is subject to the first one. The first one is this. He talks us out of believing in them. Well, they're not for today. They were for back then. They're history. 
They're past history. They're not for today. Do you know how old that theology of secessionism is? About a hundred years. You know the rest of church history? They didn't believe that. They would have said that's ridiculous. But we don't, we don't fall prey to that. Our theology is sound. Number two way he opposes us doing it. He talks us into not risking for them. I can't tell you how many times I've taught on spiritual gifts someplace and power of the Holy Spirit all over the world. And somebody always says, well, we don't want to get carried away. You know? You don't want to get carried away with this stuff. Yes, we do. We're only effective when we get carried away. Well, you know, you don't want to get emotional. You don't want to, like, cry or something. Yes, I do. That's what happens to me when the Holy Spirit touches me. Our God's emotional. When he touches me with his love, it's emotional. It elicits an emotional response inside of me. I end up having snot hanging from my nose. It's embarrassing. It ruins my shirt. It causes my sinuses to clog up and I have trouble breathing and my nose gets thick. Well, there are three reasons for stopping the praying. Right there. It's embarrassing. gives you snot. It's just not good. You don't want to get ruins the shirt. You don't want to get carried away, do you? I mean, really, getting carried away. We can't get carried away. What if we're supposed to get carried away? What if that's exactly what God wants? The Holy Spirit carrying us away into a new supernatural action and reality that's far better than the one we were sitting in before we got carried away. How about that? Amen to getting carried away. Oh, don't get emotional. Don't get embarrassed. Oh, I love this one. Those gifts... They are for today, but they're for someone else. They're not for everyone, and they're not for you. Yes, they are. Oh, really? Prove it. Well, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and they're His gifts. So they're inside of you. They're available, and He wants to express them through your life. You see, the, the devil will do anything and say anything, do anything to stop us from actually doing something. And this has gone on for so long that in much of the church we actually believe that believing in them is all that's required of us. It's enough if I just believe they're real. I don't have to do anything. Of course I believe in evangelism. If anyone stops me on the street, total stranger, and begs me to tell them how to go to heaven, I will take a few minutes to tell them how to go to heaven. But I'm not going to go out and like witness to people. You see, because I'm not going to do that because I'm not an evangelist. Yes, you are. We all are. See, look, taking risks is how we make our faith real. Our faith is dead without actually going out and doing something. Well, but I'm not sure if... I'm not sure I have the faith for seeing supernatural stuff happen through me. How can I go out and do it without being convinced that it will work? Isn't that a lack of integrity? No, no, it's easy. Just obey. 
You don't have to have perfect belief. You don't have to have perfect faith. Just have more obedience than you have faith. On the balance of faith and obedience, if you're having trouble with the faith side, just just say, okay, I'm just going to obey. I'm just going to go do it. I'm just going to go try. See, for so long we put all the emphasis on having the right belief and not enough on just go do it. Just go do it. Well, what if it doesn't work? Then you did the right thing. You tried. Most of the time in the Christian life, God's more concerned with your tries than your successes. It's true. He's good with good tries. He's okay with failures. He's fine with failures. A person who keeps on trying is a person who's learning. A person that gives up is a person that's done. Just go and do it out of pure obedience. See, look, I've seen some um, spectacular things. One of the first ones I saw was uh, a leg grow, like you were talking about the other day. We were in a meeting. uh, It was about 2,000 people in the room, and my buddy was, we had these books working through conference material, and um, at the end of the message, the, the uh, speaker said, we're going to pray for legs to lengthen. And I thought, oh, come on, man. That's, that's pretty far out. That's like a full-on miracle. That's like a regenerative full-on that was not enough, and now there's more than enough. And I mean, how can I believe for that? So I thought, oh, this is going to be cheesy. And my friend gets real excited and he says, look at this, look at this. And he leaps back in his conference book about 10 pages and up in the corner he'd written legs. And I said, what's that? And he said, the Lord told me about 10 minutes ago, about half an hour ago, he told me that there was going to be legs lengthened tonight. Well, guess what? Faith. Oh my God, I'm going to see a leg lengthen. This is going to be the coolest thing I've ever seen. It was a gift of faith. It was like, I got the faith. I got the faith. I get to see a leg grow tonight. So he and my buddy and I, they start calling for people that have got like one leg shorter than the other. We run up to the front. We're pushing people out of the way. Oh, we're here to do a miracle. You know, get out of my way. And there's this girl and she's, um, she's about 28, long blonde hair, green sweater, pink pants and uh, she's been in a car accident and one leg was an inch and a half shorter than the other so we got her in a chair and, and pinned her hips so she couldn't you know if you do it right you can twist and make it look like one leg's longer than the other you can get away with some stuff and I, wasn't, I was a lawyer at the time full of cynicism and exactitude so I'm not going to let her get away with anything if I'm going to tell a story of a healing it's going to be a real one so we pin her so she can't move, and I'm holding her ankles down on the down like this, holding, holding her ankles, looking down at her ankles, and sure enough, the ankle bone on one leg is an inch and a half shorter than on the other side. And I just, I remembered, how do they t- teach us to pray? Command it, command it. Okay, all right. Leg, 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, grow. And I'm giving it everything I got. I got all my belief at the best. I got a gift of faith here. So I got some confidence. Yeah, we're going to, yeah, okay. And of course, it doesn't pop out. Okay. Leg, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, grow. Another couple of minutes, nothing's happened. Yeah, your faith, it starts to, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. This is not good. This is not good. I'm going to look really stupid in about 10 minutes. But then I look again, and sure enough, it's like, it's not that, it's more like an inch. Oh, wait a minute. I think something's happening. Oh, faith comes up again. Leg in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you grow and you grow now. We're Canadians. We're really polite. I didn't, I didn't get, like yell at it. I just sort of negotiated with it, but commandingly. Well, it took 20 minutes. At the end of 20 minutes, they were the same length. And I said, stand up. Let's check this out. And she stood up. And what she'd done is she had hemmed one pant leg an inch and a half shorter than the other to make it look even when she walked. When she got up, it was up here. I went, oh, my God. It's a frickin' miracle. Like, I'm more excited. I mean, I had some faith, but I'm like, oh, my God. And she's jumping up and down, and she's doing tight circles and stuff. And it's just like, wow, this is incredible. That was one time. Blindness was another time. But guess what? You don't always have the gift of faith. You don't always have a certitude inside that this is going to happen. The rest of the miracles I've seen were just because I just went and obeyed. Oh, they need prayers? I'll go pray. I can lay hands on somebody. I can ask God to do something. That's not beyond my capability. I can obey. And guess what? Every one of us has the ability to obey. Every one of us can make a choice and say, I'm just going to do it. I mean, I don't care. The result is not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. But the obedience to go and pray... That's, that's my responsibility. My mentor used to say, spell faith, R-I-S-K. I told you this story before, but the, the, first, the first night I was filled with the Holy Spirit, my friend with a 16-year drug addiction couldn't get free tried everything. He'd become a Christian. He quit cocaine. He quit some of the hallucinogenics. But he couldn't quit smoking pot because he'd been smoking it for 16 years. And he tried and tried and tried. And we went to a conference, new in these things, never really experienced that before. He got prayed for for about 15 minutes. It was the most Unusual experience I've ever had. I lost myself in the prayer. I felt inside of me what was going on inside of him. The struggle between a good hand and a bad hand in his chest, and the good hand was trying to pull the bad one out. I couldn't even speak. I tried to, I tried to communicate to the person that was leading the prayer, yeah, you're getting it. You're getting close to this thing. It's going to go. It's going to go. But I couldn't because I was lost in this, I don't know, altered state. And all of a sudden... The, the good hand just ripped it out and I 
felt it, the tearing of flesh inside of me. And it popped out. And my eyes opened. And I looked at my friend. And he'd gone bolt upright like this. And his eyes popped open. And this big grin appeared in his face. And he said, it's gone. And I said, I know. I felt it go. And then Ken put his hand on him. Prayed for the Holy Spirit. And my friend said, this thing hit him in the head. This hot thing hit him in the head. And it went down through his body, touched his toes, and came up and exploded in his head. And he was so filled with power and joy, I'd never seen anything like it. And, and we were in an altered state. And Ken grabbed us and took us down to the front and said, you guys start praying for people. I had never prayed for anybody in my life. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, never mind. God will show you. Just put your hand on people. Start praying for people. That was the beginning of it. I have never felt as much joy or as much pure power as that night. And when we were driving home, and Ken was the guy who ran it, the meeting was staying at my house. He was my mentor. And I said, I was trying to be cool because we call him God's Clint Eastwood. He's never had an emotional moment. He's like really subdued. And I don't want to be uncool with him because he's my mentor and I want his respect. So I'm dancing around this. Inside I'm bubbling with joy like I've never been in anything like this. And I said to him, um, you know, that was a rather unique experience I had tonight. And he goes, yeah, because he doesn't care. You know, yeah, that's good. I said, uh, yes, um, how, can I, uh, how can I be sure that it will keep on happening for the rest of my life? And he said, I don't know. Why? Who needs a mentor like that? Really? Like, Mr. Wet Blanket on my faith moment? Give me a break. So I'm kind of disappointed. And he says, oh, yeah. He says, there is one thing. And I'm like, what? Yeah, what? Give me the, give me, give me the gold. How do I make sure this happens for the rest of my life? And this is what he said. He said, I'm not sure. But he said, uh, put yourself in positions where you attempt to do something you absolutely can't do and put yourself in a position where you know you can't do it and if it doesn't work, you look like a fool. I thought, I can do that. <laughs> I can look like a fool. So I started doing it. Man, we went to submarine. My buddy and I, they got released. Goes, talking for, you know, praying for strangers at the submarine shop. Praying for strangers at the store. I mean, it doesn't matter. Just go out and get them. Just get after it. Because it's okay to fail, see? You can look like a fool. Just don't stop. Just keep on obeying. Just keep on doing it. Just don't stop. Take the risks. About, uh, I don't know, seven years ago maybe? John had a prophetic word word of knowledge at the end of worship that there was a woman here who had had a foot infection for six months and they tried all this stuff with the doctor and, and um, nothing had worked. And she came to our church. She's a Christian, but she didn't believe in any of the supernatural gifts whatsoever. So her cousin brought her to church. And she was sitting over there and uh, John gets this word of knowledge about this foot condition and it's the new girl. It's the girl that the cousin brought to our church. So the cousin starts like, in eh, eh, the ribs like this, like, that's you he's talking about. That's you he's talking about. Stand up. You'll get healed. Stand up. You'll get healed. And she's, no, no, I don't believe in that stuff. I'll just do it anyway. And, of course, her cousin was kind of 
One of those people that never gives up, a little terrier on your pant leg, you know. You can't get rid of that dog. Well, she's just like, mm, on her cousin. Come on, stand up. So finally she stands up. Long story short, bang, she's instantly healed. I mean instantly healed. She's whoop, lit. So she goes back to her office and tells her boss, man, and he's a Christian, tells her boss this story of what happened to church. And he says, I got to see this. I'm coming with you next Sunday. We're going back there. So he comes, and he's sitting right where Francisco and Maru are sitting, right there. And it's the end of worship, and we're praying for people, and I'm right there. And I look over, and I see this new guy. I don't know who he is, but God gives me a prophetic word for him. So I went over and said, excuse me, but I think I have a word from the Lord for you. And he looks at me like, what the heck is that? Because this is not his tradition. So I said, well, I think this is what the Lord's saying to you. Well, he says, how did you do that? Like, how did you know that? And I said, well, it's a spiritual gift. God puts his thoughts in our mind for other people, and sometimes they're accurate, and sometimes we hear correctly, but that one is for you. He says, this is incredible. How do you do that? And he says, this healing thing. He says, my employee so-and-so, she's, she's here, and, and she, got, she got healed here last Sunday. He says, how do you do that? Do you know? He says, do you know how to do that? I said, yeah. He says, how do I learn that? I said, you come with me for a week to Mexico. I'm going to Guadalajara and Leon, and we're going to do a week's worth of meetings. You come with me, and by the end of the week, you will be prophesying over total strangers accurately. And he says, no. He says, that's impossible. He says, I don't know anything about this. I don't know how to do this. I said, it doesn't matter. You will be in the presence of God, and he will be doing these things, and you will catch it. They're, they're caught, not taught. And he says, are you serious? I said, look, here's how serious I am. You come with me and we do this. If you're not prophesying over total strangers by the end of the week accurately, I will pay for your entire trip. And he's no fool. He's going to get himself a Mexican vacation, and in the process, he got himself a Mexican wife. That's part of the story. So we go down there, and I mean, it's like he's just, he's, he's, in, he's violent, Every, we go on a bus ride from Guadalajara to Leon. It's three, three hours. The whole way. Okay, tell me about physical healing. The whole way down, tell me about physical healing. How do you do it? I'm, I'm downloading everything I can think of. And he's absorbing it like a sponge. Okay, now this prophecy thing. How does that work? And we're going on and on and on like that. By the end of the week, we had a pastor's meeting. About 20, 25, 30 pastors in Leon. And uh, he'd had a dream the night before. Chris had. And he told me the dream in the morning. He said, it was really vivid. I mean, I think, I really think it means something. What should I do with it? And I said, well, we're going to fit it in. At some point in the meeting with these pastors, you're going to get up and give that dream, and I'm going to give the interpretation. And um, he goes, no, I couldn't do that. I said, no, you're going to do that. I said, my money's on the line here, and we're getting near the end of the week. You're going to get up and give that gift, and we're going to see what happens. So he got up and he gave it. It was a dream that was all about a coach and how his coach cared for the team and how he fathered them. And, and it's, it was a really powerful vision. And when he's finished, I stood up and said, gentlemen, this is really about your fatherhood and how you were fathered or not fathered. 
And the Lord wants to reach out and heal the brokenness in your relationship with your earthly fathers. Okay, this is Mexico, all right? The whole macho culture is a big deal. Guys don't like to show weakness, especially pastors in front of their people. They don't want to show weakness. At least 20 of them come forward and they're weeping. I mean, the spirit has hit them and they are crying their eyes out and they're getting healed. And Chris's eyes are like this. And that was the beginning and he never looked back. He came back here and he decided he was going to pray for the sick. So him and two of, his, two of his evangelical friends that had never done it, they all thought it was a great experiment, so they started going out to Target. And the first guy they found at Target had a cast on his wrist, had a broken wrist. And uh, Chris went up to him and said, Hey, you know, a young guy, about 18 or 19, said, Hey, you know, uh, what's wrong with your wrist? Well, you know, I broke it. And, well, can you move your fingers? No, not really. It's going to be that way for a long, you know, long time before I get the cast off. Is there pain? Yeah, yeah, it hurts, yeah. He says, uh, do you believe in Jesus? The guy says, no. Chris says, I do. He says, can I pray for your wrist? The guy says, what do you mean? He says, no, can I, can I just put hands on your wrist and can I pray for Jesus to heal your wrist? And the guy says, hey, whatever, sure. So Chris establishes a baseline. It's really important, you know. How much can you move your fingers? How much, put a number, one to ten, what the pain is. So we know if it's changing. We want reality here. We just don't want to pretend. So Chris starts praying for this guy, puts his hand on the cast and starts praying for his wrist. And all of a sudden, the guy's going like this. And the pain's gone. What the blank, blank, blank just happened to me? He's going on and on like, you know, this is, and he gets, this is crazy. He's, I don't feel any pain. I can move I can move it. This is, this is amazing. What, what happened? Well, Jesus healed you. Led him to the Lord right then and there. So that was the encouraging start. So then he decides, I need more sick people. You've got to have sick people to feed the, the healing gift, right? So he decides. It's not all, you know, he's, this guy's a risk taker. He's going to go to Tijuana on the weekend at night and he's going to walk the streets by himself until he finds sick people to pray for. But he's got a strategy. He doesn't speak Spanish. So what he's going to do, he's going to find a sick person who's bilingual. And then he's going to get that guy healed or that girl healed. And then he's going to use them as the interpreter to do the rest. So he goes down there and he finds some guy who speaks Spanish and English and the guy gets healed and the guy's now his sidekick to go around finding other sick people on the street. This then leads to doing more of the same here in San Diego. It got so crazy. He said, have you ever seen a blind person healed? I mean, I, I, sorry, have you ever seen anyone raised from the dead? I said, no, I mean, you know, I said, he said, why not? Like, I'm supposed to know, right? Why not? I said, well, they're, dead people are hard to come by. <laughs> well, they are, you know. Like, you don't just get to walk into a hospital and say, fresh dead, fresh dead. You know, find me someone to pray for. You don't get to do that. They won't let you do that. So he gets this idea. I'm not making this up, people. It's crazy. But you want risks? You'll get risks. He puts an ad in Craigslist. He put an ad in Craigslist. I am a Christian. 
I want to pray for a dead person. If you've recently had a relative who's died, I would like to pray for him or her. No response. (laughs) Shocking. No one's up for this. So he starts going to mortuaries. He starts visiting mortuaries. I would like to pray for a dead person. Do you have any? I'm sorry, but the laws prevent us letting people like you come in to pray for the dead. So he was deeply frustrated. But it didn't stop him from finding sick people wherever he could. And I said, you're on to something. I said, you need to start keeping a record. You need to start keeping a record. So he filmed them on his, I- on his iPhone and interviewed people before and after. And he started to keep a tally. And he did this for two and a half years. Over two and a half year period, he saw 125 physical healings, and he led 55 people to Jesus. He calculates that his success rate for physical healing was approximately 60%. During that time, he saw hepatitis C healed as well as cancer and cerebral palsy. Okay, the woman with the hep C, when he told me about it, I said, he said, we got medical reports before and after. I said, I want to see them. I said, can you get a hold of those medical reports? He said, I'll talk to her. She came to our church. She came here. She brought the before and after medical reports. I read both of them. The first one is a clear confirmation of the hep C virus in her body. And the second one says, we can't find any trace of it. She wasn't on special drugs. She wasn't on interferon or any other treatment for hep C. The prayer destroyed the virus, period. Okay, I'm convinced that much of the success Chris experienced came because he was willing to risk. Not because he was profoundly gifted, but because he was profoundly ridiculous. He was ready to do anything. To test out that gift. He's not particularly gifted in healing. And he's not a man of great faith. But he is greatly gifted in risking. So, what do you think? What do you think? What's it going to take? What's it going to take to take more risks? For you. What's it going to take? What do you have to overcome? What's the biggest thing that stands in our way? Let's take a moment and ask the Lord. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. Please show each one of us what what is it? What's the thing that stands in the way? of me taking more risks to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the uniqueness of who I am, what's the thing I need to overcome? What do I need help with?
Has he shown you something? If he's shown you something, just put your hand up. What we need to overcome to take these risks. Holy Spirit, please show each one of us what will it take to become a greater risk taker for me, for me, Lord, my uniqueness. Now let's ask him for that. Let's ask him to do something about that in our lives. Shane just gave me his phone. It says, I see a picture of Jesus calling Peter out of the boat. (laughs) That's perfect. Okay, if you'd like if you'd like some help getting over that that hump. You you need a portion of courage, risk taking, or you want an opportunity. God, give me an opportunity before the end of the day. If you want help with that, why don't you come forward now? We're going to close with a song. Prayer teams, if you'd come up and take your places. (laughs) I bet he did. Excellent. So look, if you want help overcoming that hump, uh, really, that not just that, but anything. You need anything from God. Come forward now. Don't leave here without getting help when it's available. So we're going to sing one more song and, and come and get prayer and go out and take some, go out and take some risks.